Welcome back to New Money this evening. We're talking estate planning and any, all, anything around that. My guests are Harry Joffe and Gordon Stewart. I'm going straight to emails because we're going to... Harry, you, um, Gordon, you wanted to make one comment. Yeah, Brian, just to add on to Gordon, adding on to me, I mean, I agree with what Gordon's saying about the tax and the endowment policy, and obviously you need to take advice on that. But the one benefit, although there is tax in the endowment policy, it's at a lower rate than the individual rate. So particularly for capital gains tax, the individual pay at 18% normally, the fixed rate in the endowment policy is 12%. So it's a 50% saving of the capital gains tax. That's certainly where someone did a maximum tax bracket. Correct. Yeah. Margaret Benmore says, my husband had told me not to worry. He is a sole trader. And in the event of his death, how do I run the business as bank accounts get frozen and it takes weeks to get letters of executorship? We discussed the letters of executorship. You commented briefly yes. on what happens so Brian, I mean, in the business. I'm, I'm smiling. The husband has told her not to worry. She should worry. I mean, she should very definitely worry because there's nothing you can do about the sole prop. That is the husband. There's no separation in the two. But she must make sure there's liquidity. You know, she cannot rely on the business bank account, which is the husband's bank account, to run the business because that will be frozen. So they must make sure they've got alternative sources of liquidity. And again, I'm going to have to say a life policy, if they're possible, would make the most sense where she's the beneficiary and she can receive the cash directly, not through the estate, to at least carry on running affairs because everything's going to grind to a halt if the husband dies. H Harry, just one comment because we talked about the master's office. I mean, if you can't get letters of executorship, how do you close bank accounts? Well, the bank, remember, and this is something that Gordon would know as well, that the minute you know that someone close to you has died, you're obliged in law in terms of the administration of the Stakes Act, to report that to the bank. So you'd have to report it to the bank, and the bank will have to close and but freeze the bank But the banks don't account. take notice, Gordon. The banks don't take notice. No, they do. If you report a death, they will freeze the bank account, and you have to report that death. I mean, you won't get a death certificate for a while, but you have to tell that bank. Because often what happens is, if you've got access to your husband or wife's account, you actually draw funds out before the bank account's been frozen. Yes, uh, that's dipping, Brian. It's not strictly speaking legal. No, it's dipping, but, <laughs> if the, but, but if the wife or husband are beneficiaries of each other's estate... It comes I out mean, in the you'll get a slap. You'll get a slap on the, on the wrist. Yes, but the problem is, Brian, if they're not the sole beneficiary and you've got a, yeah. a child or a, someone else, uh, an aggrieved child from another marriage, that could become very problematic. So just be careful about dipping. But I'll take your point. In this... Uh, environment we're in now there's often no choice okay gordon maybe you want to comment on but let me just give you jeffrey benoni's question is please explain how my residency residency status will affect my sister who's been living in canada for 10 years and our our family are planning to join her in the next 12 months when it comes to receiving inheritance of an offshore investment that is made be made by father who's not at all well and he lives in south africa does it make a difference if we are left an investment from an aunt who also always lived in the UK? So we've got two situations here. One where there's yeah. a South African leaving money and the other where an offshore person is leaving the money. Yeah, correct, Brian. There's two parts to, to, to that question. So first of all, if a South African resident receives an inheritance of a foreign asset from another South African residence, uh, then they need to place it on record with their authorized dealer. Uh, and that's, that's their bank. Uh, the foreign asset can normally be retained abroad, uh, but subject to the condition that the foreign asset is not placed at the disposal of another South African resident. And then going to the aunt who has always lived in the UK, well, ever since the 17th of March, 1998, uh, if a South African resident receives an inheritance uh, of a foreign asset from a non-resident, then they actually do not need to declare that to the authorized dealer. Uh, the asset can be retained ab abroad, but again, it's got to be subject to the condition 
that it's not placed at the disposal of another South African resident. And, and Gordon, just one other thing, and that acid, whatever it may grow to, does not form part of your state? From the non-resident, yeah. yes. Well, Brian, that's but tricky. But you've inherited it from the that, resident. That, that's very tricky, Brian, because the 4-1-E exemption that we're discussing talks about someone receiving an inheritance from a non-resident, but they must not have been born in South Africa. There's a tricky little bit which we've got to be mm -hmm. very careful of. So we'll have to go into the exact uh, facts of the case before we say there wouldn't be a state duty there. Uh, so, I even if, even if, so, so born abroad, that's not a problem. No. If someone immigrated 35, 40 years ago? That's fine, because the wording of 41E says if you, after you became resident for the first time, so you have to have not always been a resident in South Africa. And that's why this is a very tricky issue. So we'd have to get the exact details. I wouldn't want to give a, a blanket ruling here. Uh, Elaine in Bedford. Yep. Sorry, Gordon. Sorry, Brian, I was just going to add on to that. You know, please do not make the fatal flaw of inheriting an asset from a, a non-resident, let's call it a bona fide non-resident, and then bringing it back into South Africa, because then, yes, it will be subject to a state duty tax. Harry, a nice question for you from Elaine in Bantry Bay. She says, I have a house in Boston. If something happens to me, what duties will there be, and how will my lo local estate pay for these? Okay, Brian, that's a very, a very common question. We're getting it all the time now. So the first issue is that in the US they apply what we call CITES tax. And that's just a fancy word for saying if the asset is situated in that country, they will apply debt duties there, irrespective of where in the world you live. So Elaine would die in South Africa. The US authorities will apply their CITES tax, which remember in the US is at 40%. And currently you get a very small rebate of only $60,000 as a non-American. And by the way, those American debt duties are almost definitely going up. There's a whole lot of proposals in the US Congress now and they almost for sure are going to go up. So she will have to pay that 40% duty there. Now that means her executor in South Africa is going to have to find foreign cash to pay that American death duty. Not so easy for a local executor to do. And so again, we always like to give solutions on the show, not just to give problems. So I have to now talk about a great product at Discovery Offer, and that's our Dollar Life product, which linked to Gordon's bottom drawer trust would provide the perfect solution. Because what you do, you take out a dollar life policy, which pays out a dollar cash amount when you die. You set up a bottom drawer trust, and in its mandate, it has a specific requirement to first pay any death duties of the deceased. So Elaine would die, dollar life would pay out a dollar cash amount into this bottom drawer trust, which would then spring into life. That bottom drawer trust would then take the dollar proceeds, pay the death duties to the US authorities, and of course whatever's left over can then be used for the family. So it's a very nice package solution to solve the problem because else you're going to have an issue that the local executor won't be able to raise foreign currency to pay those death duties in America. You've got serious issues. Okay, the only thing is f how old is the individual and can they get life insurance? Remember, yes. it's not always money that buys in life insurance, often your health. Correct. Uh, Gordon, she's under 70, Brian. <laughs> Gordon, from Len, he said, I caught the tail end of your program on BDTV and have a situation which I would like your expert opinion. My life partner, we are not married, but have been together for 25 years and I have a legal offshore joint account with Standard Bank in the Isle of Man. The funds were from rental payments emanating from container rentals. We have declared all income and have been taxed over the years on the income as well as the interest earned. We've been told we do not have to have a, um, a will because the joint account can continue to function should either of us pass on and we will not be subject to Isle of Man probate. Is this correct? As we don't want to create problems for the surviving partner. 
Yeah, great. Thank, thank you, Brian. So I think just to, to briefly touch on that, overseas, we typically find two types of uh, joint ownership. Uh, so you've got the tenants in common, and then you've got the beneficial joint tenancy. Um, and it sounds like the bank account that um, Len mentioned was that it fall, falls into the category of uh, beneficial joint tenancy. Uh, if, uh, if the individual is married or in a civil partnership or cohabiting with a partner, it's actually quite common for the bank accounts to be placed into the joint names uh, of, of two parties. So it sounds like, you know, Len is, is fine from that aspect. Um, and then obviously one of the key estate planning advantages of doing this is that uh, when one of the parties dies, the bank account would pass automatically to the surviving spouse or the surviving party. Um, and that would then eliminate the need uh, for the deceased's executor to carry out probate, to carry, um, so to obtain the authority to administer the account, uh, as would be necessary if the account was in the sole name of the deceased. I just want to also say there, Brian, just be very careful of, uh, or lens, advise Len when we talk about that you don't need a will um, because you don't know who's going to die first. So when the first person goes, that's fine. There'll be this automatic transfer of ownership, but you need to factor in what happens on the death of the second dying. Correct. Thanks. Uh, Harry, you always like the last word, so I'm going to give you Mike's Mulder's drip. We've got, we're nearly running out of time. Can anyone be disqualified from inheriting under a will? Yeah, Brian, so there's obviously a lot of technical issues in our law. You know, if you in, in, uh, in any way intimidate the testator or you change the will or you're obviously a witness in the will that you can't inherit. But my favourite one, it's something me and Gordon studied at law school, the blurige hunt erf net. So if you kill the <laughs> testator or if you're in any way responsible for their death, you're automatically disqualified. And it's actually not always a joke because there have been some cases now uh, with car accidents. So remember that the blurige hunt is a strict rule that even if you kill the testator negligently, so you're driving in the car with a, a friend of yours and you drive into a tree and you kill them, and if you're an heir in the will, technically you are disqualified from inheriting in terms of the Blodigahant Erfnet. And of course in South Africa we've had a whole lot of cases where spouses have killed each other, and then you can't inherit in terms of the will, and we won't pay them in terms of the life policy either. They are totally disqualified. So it's a great... South African Roman Dutch principle. Hmm. Well, estate planning is just not worrying about assets or reducing estate duty, but it's all about accomplishing goals during one's lifetime. Each person's circumstances are very different, and I do not suggest one tries to do one's own estate planning. It's always advisable, as I've said, to consult with a professional. Harry, thank you for joining me. Gordon, in the Zoom room, I hope you're okay. It's important to note that our programme tonight is to provide information and should not be construed as advice. Next week's programme, we'll be dealing with financial planning. If you need to get hold of me, my details will appear on the screen. I'd like to thank you for watching, and good night.